Hello everyone and welcome to another bonus episode of the Slaughtered Lamb Movie Podcast. I'm Darren Sands. And I'm Frank Riker. And this week we thought we'd kind of ditch the sort of list-type podcasts that we've been doing. You know, the likes of the Top Slashers and Demons and Robots and things like that. And just concentrate on one film. And we've picked an anthology film this week, which is 1982's Creepshow, directed by George A. Romero. Coming soon. Jolting Tales of Horror. Creepshow. From the author of Carrie, The Shining, and Cujo. And the creator of Night of the Living Dead and Dawn of the Dead. You'll scream at ghastly ghouls. Cringe at weird kids. And shiver at the doings of evil doctors. This is going to be extremely painful, Mr. Veril. Creepshow will grab you, grow on you, and give you the creeps. Oh, this is going to be an entirely new experience. Creepshow. The most fun you'll ever have being scared. Frank, when did you first come across Creepshow? Uh, my father rented this uh, for me at back, maybe back in 87. And I thought it was going to be a long movie, but this was a, my first introduction into anthologies. And I loved how each story was a horror story. They kept it short and they kept it fast paced. Um, so yeah, it was it was a rental back then. And, and I would have to say that this for me, was the start of getting into, like, Tales from the Crypt, Tales from the Dark Side. I think a good anthology is... Uh, I think they don't make too many good ones anymore, maybe except for Trick or Treat last time. Yeah, um, yeah, Trick or Treat's a great example of a, of, a, of a decent anthology. Yeah, there's not too many good ones out there. I mean, there was the Twilight Zone movie, mm-hmm. and obviously the Creepshow 2 that followed this. Oh, a Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark, which I quite liked. Even though it was PG-13, I, I quite enjoyed that. But I first saw this, I guess, in around about 83, 84. It was one of my dad's specialities, I think, back in the early 80s when everybody was kind of first getting into VHS. There was sort of a history of um, horror anthologies in the UK because Hammer had already done a few. They had, they had their own TV series called Hammer House of, Th- of Horror. Mm-hmm. Uh, and also they'd done movies like From Beyond the Grave. Um, where there was kind of like an antique shop and somebody would go in, buy an antique, and then every sort of antique that was sold had a kind of backstory and it would take you to that backstory and it'd be some sort of nasty horror element to it. But Creepshow was, for a, somebody who, a kid who was 12, 13 years old at the time when I first saw it, because it had that comic book appeal and you had all that fantastic artwork by um, Rick Catazone and, and Bernie Wrightson. It drew me to it straight away. And the other thing that drew me to it straight away was our friend Tom Atkins. Uncredited. Uncredited, but bookending the movie. He had no moustache. And we we're not too fond of Tom without his moustache, but, you know, he makes up for it with his six-pack and slapping a kid around. 
So, you know, that's Stephen, kind of, King, uh, Stephen King's kid. Uh, Stephen King's kid, yeah, yeah. Uh, so, yeah, he, so he keeps his masculinity by, uh, you know, doing those manly things rather than growing a tash. But, um, yeah, he, he kind of bookends the movie with a little story at the start and the end. And he, it wasn't the role he actually went for. He actually wanted to be Geordie Verrill. He read the script and he wanted to be Geordie Verrill. Um, which is the, the 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 third story in the movie? I think that would have been interesting. I I mean, would would he instead of the weeds for Jordy Verrill, would it be just his mustache growing around him? That would be interesting. Yeah, <laughs> it's yeah. the big mustache, <laughs> hair growing on his tongue, and you know, <laughs> you know, and, and that was um, Stephen King did a good job. He's one of those Alfred Hitchcock type people, right? Where he has to show up his his movies at some yeah. point, uh, whether it be a speaking role or in the background. And uh, I like the lonesome uh, death of Jordy Vale. You know, it's just uh, this farmer who's on, uh, apparently he is, his father died a few years ago, finds that meteor, what do you say, uh, that meteor shit inside, you know. And the meteor uh, crap is, is um, the liquid that when he cracks the open the meteor. Thing. Yeah, it's, it's going, it's getting all these weeds and all this grass around his house. And even on him. <laughs> well, we'll come back to that one. Um, should we start with Father's Day? Oh, yeah. Let's start with Father's Day and, uh, I guess, a, an Academy uh, nominee, Ed Harris, in <laughs> Father's Day. Shaking his head back and forth, dancing. Well, there's quite a few There's quite a few stars in this one. So um, Vivica Lin- Linfors, uh, who plays Aunt Bedelia, mm-hmm. and, and Ed Harris, of course, as well. The movie throughout has got a lot of cl- classic Hollywood actors in it. You've got the likes of um, E.G. Marshall, who shows up, and, and, and Leslie Nielsen. But Father's Day is the one that really kicks off the movie. And out of the first four stories... I, can't, I honestly can't decide which one's the best. It could be Father's Day for me, but pro- it probably might be because of Ed Harris's dance in this film. <laughs> and that song, we gave you a little blast of the song at the start of the podcast, but yeah, the story um, concerns a, a a woman who's visiting the grave of her, of her father, and she does this every year. And as the story progresses, we realise that she's actually killed her father. Um, a father's this kind of obsessive call bootlegger bootlegger yeah um, and although he's covered it up she has a strong suspicion that he's killed her is it her husband or a boyfriend I can't her remember her gentleman's suitor yeah yeah <laughs> in, a, in a hunting accident and she finally she takes years of abuse from her father and um, the last thing that he does is he demands a cake from her on father's day and she gets so wound up with him that she smashes his head in with a with a marble ashtray. We then fast forward seven years. She sat at his, at his graveside, and she kind of visits the grave. I think every year to sort of what make peace with him. I guess. Yeah, every Father's Day, you know. And uh, he, he he's an asshole. He's uh, an asshole. Yeah, the the father. And uh, I guess it's it's kind of he's kind of a a, a reckoning spirit, right? Because that's all he wanted was his cake. And you know, then we get the, you know Bedelia when he's visiting the grave. The, she's always drunk <laughs> because she's always depressed. And um, the father comes up out of the ground. Yeah, she spills her scotch or whatever she's Jim Beam on uh, Jim Beam on yeah yeah. <laughs> Um, and that's exactly what you did when you spilt yours that night. When we did Halloween 3, you rose the dead that night. I went into the grave. <laughs> <laughs> 
But yeah, she spills her scotch on his grave and all of a sudden he starts to come out with a grave. And the one thing that always strikes me about this moment is John Harrison's score. He'd also done uh, Day of the Dead for um, for George A. Romero. Initially, he was the, the, the first director on the film who had a bit of a musical past. Um, but the music that they'd chosen was kind of library music in a similar way that they chose library music for Dawn of the Dead, apart from the Goblin score. And the quality of it just wasn't up to it for a film of 1982. You know, people were getting involved in stereo mixes and things like that. And so he decided to devise his own score for the film, with obviously with Romero's blessing. And it's one of the things that really stands out throughout this. In fact, I've got the soundtrack album, actually signed by John Harrison as well. Um, cool. Yeah, it, 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 this, the score really resonates throughout and stays with you. It's, it's uh, kind of, I would say very of its time and kind of fits in with the scores of i'd say like halloween and phantasm and a lot of those kind of early 80s horrors that came out but yeah he breaks out of the ground and kills her first and then goes on a rampage it seems like he goes after the people who were involved in his his murder uh except for maybe ed harris because he was just there and he kills Ed Harris because of that fucking dancing. That's why. Oh, Jesus Christ! <laughs> yeah, it, and also maybe be because uh, he probably doesn't know him as a family member. Yeah, he's uh, and Ed Harris is married to Cass, so there's a re- there's a relation there. But that that scene where he's squishing his head with that tombstone, you could feel that that tension slowly, and he's in this hole, you know, because he can't really move really quick. Yeah, and uh, you don't see his head actually get crushed, and that's the thing. One of the charms of this is that a lot of the deaths are kind of either off screen or split second, and you don't. And it's that score that builds up that tension that makes you feel every injury or oh, yeah. death. Yeah, it's terrific. Fun fact, though, I found out today was the the hole in the ground that Nate comes out of. A few years later, they <laughs> the house where they filmed Creepshow, the dog died. There was a German Shepherd, and they put the dog in the ground that they oh, <laughs> in the morbid. <laughs> Jesus! <laughs> what the hell? <laughs> I just think that's brilliant. Well, we've already got a hole out there. We might as well fucking use it. <laughs> Fill it in with something. <laughs> and we'll throw that fucking cake in there because we won't be using that either. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. But, yeah, Nathan, uh, he winds up going back into the house and he, and he uh, the, the nephew and the niece, you know, they're walking around. They can't find anybody. Uh, Mrs. Danvers is dead, you know, for... Uh, oh, the maid. Mrs. Yeah, the maid is dead because she was involved because she didn't say anything. She was involved in the cover up. And then Sylvia, you know, Aunt Aunt Sylvia, she doesn't she get her head, her head neck snapped and turned all the way around. So she's walking north, but facing south. It's kind of a Linda Blair thing, isn't it? You can hear the crunch. (laughs) And she's uh, she's dumped on a platter and there's fucking candles and cream on her head and everything and and you know it's a it's a it's a short but sweet little little package um and it he moves ends quick. the scene yeah it moves quick and he ends the scene saying i got my cake there's one bit though when he's stomping around the around the um <laughs> around the house looking for his next victims and he's saying under his breath i want my cake and if you listen closely as he disappears he goes give it to me it's mine <laughs> yeah, I remember that. 
And I, I just remember <laughs> Sylvia saying, we sit down for a nice ham. <laughs> the way she says ham just makes me not want to eat ham at all. <laughs> you know, it's because it's because uh, it's Father's Day, but uh, they all know the story though of how it happened. How yeah, Nathan yeah. died, the patriarch of the family. Yeah, yeah this killer mooderer, bootlegger, whatever he wanted, he wanted from me. But yeah, Father's Day is, is a great introduction to this. Uh, to this, movie. it is what what a start to the film. You know, some great effects work in there. Savini again, Tom Savini, who actually really kind of. Um, embraced this movie because he wanted to branch out into monster pictures. Mm-hmm. Um, he was tired of doing slashes at this point. You know, he'd done, let's see, he would have done Friday the 13th, The Burning, and The Prowler prior to this. Uh, and so he was like, yeah, I've got to do this. He got, you know, and he, he he had that opportunity to build all those different animatronics. The, the um, what do they call the, the creep show? Was it the Creeper or something like that? I can't Creeper, remember. Yeah, his the name Creeper, is Raul. Yeah. Raul. He got to build that and Fluffy later on, and and still got to dabble with the zombies as well. So uh, yeah, he 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 was really up for this gig, and he did it along with his seventeen-year-old assistant, just the two of them. Uh, and I say he did a pretty good job. Yeah, you know, and even making Stephen King into the Green Giant with Which, that meteor shit. Good segue into the lonesome death of Geordie Verrill. We talked about it a little bit before. You know, he's just he's getting this green shit around him, and he's imagining his father. Uh, that what's what does that green crap want out of that this this plant? He wants water. It wants water. It needs to survive. And he's imagining his uh, father telling him, "Don't if you get in that, it's going to be your death warrant." And all you see is a naked Stephen King jump in the water, and he's having fun in it. Because I guess it feels so good getting some of that, you know, that, that vegetation to to relieve his pain, sort of, because yeah. it's starving of water. It's a, it's it's an interesting idea. I'm not, not sure where this idea came from. I know that uh, George A. Romero turned around to um, Stephen King and just said, just go for it. Just make it like um, a Roadrunner cartoon. Just mm-hmm. you know, anything is you know nothing is off limits on this you just kind of ham it up as much as you like and you can tell that king's having such fun throughout you know pulling all these faces and slapping himself in the jaw every time he's surprised and uh, it's a it's a it's a really fun performance i'm not sure how it would sit today but looking at it you know over the years i just enjoy it and every time i watch it it's just great fun and i you actually feel really sorry for the bloke as well yeah you do jordy barrel you lunkhead. Pay off that loan. Yeah. <laughs> That's the ticket. <laughs> and also, the, the fictitious town of Castle Rock is where his farm yeah. is. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it was known to be in Stephen King uh, movies all the time. Well, this whole thing, you know, we should have probably mentioned this at the beginning, but this whole thing came together because Romero had done a vampire movie called Martin in the sort of mid-70s. And Warner Brothers came to Romero and said, look, you know, you've done a small town vampire film. Stephen King, we're thinking, has written this, this book called Salem's Lot, and we're thinking of doing a movie of it. Why don't you go and spend some time with him and see what, see what comes of it? He spent 10 days, him and, and Richard Rubenstein sent ten, spent 10 days with, um, with Stephen King. And he said they barely spoke about Salem's Lot at all. They actually went on to talk about The Stand more than anything. Mm. Uh, and Stephen King was like, you know, this is what I really want to do. 
And as it happened, uh, Salem's Lot got turned into a miniseries, and they, you know, the stand was just at that point in time was probably unfilmable in terms of the sheer scale of it, and and uh, being able to condense it down to two hours. So, uh, you know, we know it's been remade a couple of times recently as miniseries. But what did come out of it was the fact that their love of anthologies. And so there was an independent uh, company that, that came up with the idea of, of doing Creepshow and uh, eventually Warner's bought into it. And, and they should. And they should have, which they did. And it's, it's, and this is what we have. So, so after we have the Jordy Verrill, it's, it's, you know, where he was just basically the one-man show, that's the first time I ever knew what Stephen King looked like, was uh, after Lonesome Death of Jordy Verrill and him blowing his head off. It would have been great if, you know, the, the, at the end, though, when he's this big weed, if after he shot himself, the weeds grew back his head. I thought that had been great, but, you know, the, the ending was, was, pretty, was pretty gruesome within itself. Yeah, and and I don't know if you've seen the making of. If you watch the making of, they actually it's a I think it's one of Savini's effects guys who who puts the green suit on, and he lies on the floor, and they prop the suit up. The top half of the body's like a, a prosthetic, and they he's kind of guiding the shotgun into the face of the dummy, and then they tell him when to fire and blow its brains out. <laughs> And you're like, Jesus Christ, you're putting your life in the hands of these people. <laughs> you're, you're there. You're almost there. Yeah. All right. You're too far over. Go back. Oh, shit. <laughs> it, it's like Ox with, uh, with with Kurt Russell. All right. I'm going to aim for this back of your neck. <laughs> yeah, you're right. Yeah. Get, get the hell away from me. <laughs> Well, the the next the next uh, little short after that, you know, something that ties you over, I, I think, has one of my favorite comedy actors. Even though he's not really comedic, but he he does spoofs and everything. A serious role from Leslie Nielsen, Ted Danson, and an uncredited Richard Gere in this movie. Richard Gere? Yeah, what he's missing on, something here. He is on the TV that Richard is watching in when he's buried in the sand. When, yeah, after everything is all said and done, when he's watching a movie, Richard Gere is actually on that television. Oh, wow. What's, what's the film? Oh, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> you know, all it is, all it is, is Richard, it's Richard Gere, and it's just, he probably filmed a little spoof for him of saying, just, uh, just okay. make a little movie and say these couple of lines. And he's uncredited, but he's actually in on that TV set. I was too worried at that point as to whether, um, Danson's toop was going to come off in the waves. I don't know. <laughs> oh, the, the, uh, and they said before, when they were filming that every time, Ted Danson and the cast would crack up because Leslie had a habit of bringing that fart machine <laughs> on, on scene. So every time there would be a serious line saying, like, I know that like you and Becky have been together because Leslie Nielsen's character, Richard, knows that Ted Danson's character, Harry, and his wife, or uh, and Richard's wife, Becky, are seeing each other. They're cheating on him. And Leslie Nielsen's character, uh, like I said, Richard, is a, uh, he's obsessive. And everything that's his is his, and nothing can stop it, and no one can take it. So he buries Harry up to his neck in sand, along with Becky, and they have him watch each other. You know, so it's all this, it's this kind of, it's sadist, isn't it, a little bit, and recording it? It's a nasty old entry into the, uh, into the anthology. I... I think I say it's my second favorite. I think I think I'm going to say that uh, the crate is my favorite, but 
Yeah, they're both buried in the sand and they're both forced to watch each other die. But what's really interesting about it is how they filmed it all. They had to be really careful because obviously the, the surf was, you know, changing all the time. So they would find a spot, dig a hole, put dancing in it. And it's not easy to get somebody out of the sand once, especially once it goes, when, once it's wet, because you literally, it's like cement. Um, Ten times its weight. Yeah, yeah. Eventually, they went further back on the beach, and they built this contraption, which was like a wave machine. So it was kind of a staircase that was placed in front of Ted Danson. They would let containers full of water drop from the staircase, and then it would kind of rush around his face, Mm -hmm. uh, giving the effect of waves. That was all fine, but then they had to get that shot of him underwater, which just, you know... you kind of they could have done a better job on the lighting with that because it does look like he's sat in a fish tank which uh, it was which he actually which he was <laughs> he was in a fish tank up to the neck yeah Savini said that he he had a few fail safes with it but the final fail safe that he had was if if the oxygen tank that that Ted Danson was using to breathe uh, failed or the valve that they had built in to release all the water failed he had a sledgehammer in his pocket <laughs> so that that was the last resort to um, to to smash the, the the tank open, and so Danson could breathe. But I would do um, the same thing. I would say, get that fucking sledgehammer out. <laughs> but it's good. It's a, it's it's not the best illusion that, that Savini's ever come up with. Mm-hmm. I just don't think the lighting's right on that shot. They could have done something a little. The water could have been slightly darker and murkier, and it would have probably looked a little bit. You know. If, if if Spielberg could do it in his own swimming pool with Ben Gardner's head, then, you know, I don't know why um, these guys couldn't do it on Creepshow. But, you know, we'll forgive them that. Because the, what follows next, when the two of them rise from a watery grave, is disgusting. These zombies were terrifying as a, as a kid. I agree with you, with the squishing around. And yeah. it almost seems like, you know, when, when, when Richard is talking, you know, because he thinks that maybe Harry is still out there because he does. He went, He goes back and he discovers that he's not there. Uh, so it's possible that, you know, uh, Harry came back. And when he's yelling behind locked doors, you know, Wentworth, I have the gun. And you hear, it's almost like the, 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 the zombies or, you know, the, the, you know, the sea creatures or whatever Becky and Richard are, uh, Becky and Harry are. Um, they talk to each other a little bit, right? Yeah. Kind of, it gives you that idea. It's, it's weird. Yeah. Like, it's like they're, and they're, they're <laughs> gargling on water as well while yeah. they're talking. Do you know, besides the ending we got, you know, where they're they're burying him, they buried Richard up there, which I think was a good ending to go back to uh, subject him to the way that they died, being buried in the sand. Hmm. There, was, yeah. there was supposed to be a deleted ending, an alternate ending of Richard in the gas chamber. And uh, they were supposed to film, uh, you know, the police found the video of uh, him killing uh, Becky and Wentworth. And he yells at the end, you know, I could hold my breath for a long time in the gas chamber. Richard's all crazy because he saw, you know, Swamp Thing, Harry and Becky. And uh, in the gas chamber, he's supposed to yell, you know, that, that famous line at the end. I could hold my breath for a long time, which I don't think would have made sense. And the makeup um, effects on these zombies, the majority of the makeup there's um, tissue, tissue paper. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's a thin daughter wasn't afraid of it. They're like, oh, hi, daddy. But it, the bit is, it's also the bit when they're getting shot in the face and that kind of really thin blood that just oozes out of their heads. 
just like and Savini. Yeah, it's it's horrible. It's, it's, Savini explained how he did it, which was a, obviously it was a bladder underneath, but he just kind of covered, um, made a hole in the latex, put a bladder underneath, and and covered it up again with tissue paper. And at the right moment, just pulled the dried tissue paper off, and that uh, the blood kind of poured out. Fascinating. Yeah, it's a it's a, it's a fun it's a fun episode. It's for me, I think this is probably the slowest ones out of all of them. But it's certainly not the crate, which everybody loves because of Fluffy, yeah, yeah. and yeah. A- Adrian Bubo and uh, Hal Holbrook. It, it's it, the crate dealt with a guy uh, who's kind of teased by his wife and feels. How does he feel? He's just he hates his life. <laughs> he hates his life. Yeah, his wife. He, he's imagining he's, different um, ways to kill her. He's bullied by her. He's abused by her. That's you know, and he finds the perfect way to kind of remedy that. And I, I um, think anyone would be okay with Adrian bullying you a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> she hated doing this. She didn't want to do this at all because she hates horror. She absolutely hates horror. She's known for horror, but she actually doesn't like horror whatsoever. But because mm-hmm. uh, Romero was such good friends with John Carpenter, and I think um, John Carpenter we time was married. <laughs> yeah, we need your wife. Uh, he was married to um, Adrian Barbo at the time, and and you know because Stephen King was involved, and it was starting to become a a, a, a studio picture. And Carpenter said, "You you got to do this. You can't not do this film. It's it's going to be fantastic." So this um, is your favorite one, right? The crate and Fluffy. It is, and Fluffy is actually—he's uh, an icon for horror, right? He's, he is. Everyone knows who Fluffy is. Yeah, he's kind of like a angry muppet. And actually, uh, when Tom Savini was building Fluffy, he asked for help, tips from Rob Bottin on how true, to make yeah. all the uh, how to make all the animatronics. Yeah. Um, and I guess for having Adrian in there, didn't they put that where Fluffy's crate is? It was from the Arctic and sent to Julie Julie Carpenter. Little oh, is that, is that the sketch on the side of it? Yeah, uh, the, that's, the, that's their nod for John. Yeah, yeah. It says the date on there, is, it says Arctic Expedition, June the 18th, 1834. Filled with National Geographics. What, so what does, are we to believe that Fluffy's just been hibernating or something in there? I, I, I guess so. Uh, he's kind of like the abominable snowman. Yeah. How do they capture Fluffy? That's what I want to know. Well, they throw a piece of meat in there and then they put the chains on him? I don't know. I guess the fact, you know, we're more concerned about him getting out than how he got in there, I think. <laughs> yeah, but but so Fluffy it, is an icon. Love is it a uni- it's a university, isn't it? That, yes. Um, yeah. Yeah. So yeah. Um, during spring whole- break. Yeah, and Hal Holbrook gets a phone call from one of the guys that works there. It's the janitor, isn't it? Yeah, uh, uh, actually, it's goes, Dexter. Oh, Dexter. it's Dexter, that's it. Yeah. Fritz Weaver plays Dexter, that's right. And Fritz gets a call from the janitor, and he goes down there, and um, he's lost like a... Is it a doubloon or something he's lost? He lost the um, coin for the soda machine, the Coke machine. So why is he? why is he ringing his boss up at home to come down and get the coin? Because I think it would, the coin went underneath the stairs. And then, and then he, he found looking, the box. And he found the right. box. Okay. And he saw it wasn't the all about yeah. the, the quarter. No. It was about his, his Coke machine and washing everything. But, you know, Dexter's hard up for young women, too, because he's a bachelor. His wife passed away and everything. And yeah. it seems like the only person that wants to play with Dexter is Hal Holbrook. <laughs> That's the only one. You know, but the, the we see that first kill from the janitor because well, what, do you, what do you do when you see 
a crate. You just stick your hand in there all the way and just feel around, don't you? <laughs> well, this is this is where yeah, this is where Romero does tension so good because we've already seen this thing's eyes, uh, and those of you who've seen the um, the advert yeah. for um, for this episode that we're doing and, and also the podcast cover, those eyes are terrifying themselves without actually putting your hand in there. Um, but the guy puts his hand in there, the janitor puts his hand in there, and literally gets dragged in, doesn't he? And drained. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's horrible. It's horrible. So Fritz is then f- freaking out about that, and is this the point where he calls Hal Holbrook up to come and give him, for him to come and give him a hand? This is where, uh, don't forget, Charlie dies. His, uh, one of uh, uh, Dexter's student. Uh, yes. He's still there. And- yeah. And one in that scene where Charlie's investigating along with Dexter, this crate, because all they see is a shoe left behind, this bloody shoe yeah. uh, from the janitor. Charlie's wounds remind me of American Werewolf in London because it's a big scratch down the face. Those bites on the side of the head. Yeah, and in the neck and everything. Yeah. Neck yeah. And, yeah. Um, yeah. and that, that's, that's, a pretty, that's, that's a pretty good effect and a pretty good kill. And that's when he goes and meets, uh, he runs to uh, Harry's ha- Henry's house and tells him the whole thing. And Harry decides, and Henry decides to investigate yeah. what's going on. And this is where he sees that this is his opportunity to dispatch the lovely Adrian Barbeau, Wilma. <laughs> you know, come on out, you know, dinner time. <laughs> <laughs> Just but even even up to the point where he's trying to, you know, get her to look inside the cage, she's still fucking kicking lumps out of him. <laughs> Shitty piggy friends. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and no good in bed. <laughs> she's horrid. Yeah. He's like, I remember Fluffy taking her, and he's basically looking at uh, Henry and basically saying, "Oh, thank you, and a free meal." And uh, he pukes a little bit because of what happened. Um, apparently, like er- Henry thinks he locks Fluffy up. Fluffy's gonna go down, and you feel sorry for Fluffy a little bit. You kind of do. Um, locks him up back in the crate, and he's dumped in a quarry. And everyone yeah. thinks everything's fine, but it's not, is it? Well, I've you know I've been watching the Creep Show um, TV show over on Shudder, and. I keep wanting them to do a follow-up to this. Yes, because the it last shot to, of yes. this, yeah, the last shot of this of this story is the crate bursting open. It's been fed. It's eaten what three, four people now. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's got some strength. I'd love to see a fluffy uh, sequel <laughs> of some sort, like hopping a you in a uh, in a in a post box. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like gremlin, someone sticks his hand in it. A hand comes or a, a portaloo. <laughs> you know, I I think you know, and, and out of every character in this anthology, Fluffy has the most merchandise. There's yeah. Fluffy yeah. shirts. There's Fluffy action figures, um, and I think uh, Greg Nicotaro uh, has the crate. I think he bought it. He has he has. Oh Fluffy. really? If you had to put. One of these, like we said before, one of these stories, the crate is the is, is the icon for Creepshow. Yeah, a great cast, some great scares, and tons of gore in this in this episode. Oh yeah, yeah. But it's not my favorite, Darren. It's not my favorite out of them. Is this really now? This final episode, I struggle with all the time 
I they, love it. It nearly, it nearly didn't. You, you can talk about it then, because it just pisses me off every time I watch it. <laughs> <laughs> Poor E.G. I don't. Marshall. I honestly don't get it at all. And and they, they they almost ended the movie at the crate. They had five stories mapped out. Mm-hmm. Um, they were running. The, the budget was draining. You know, right down. And so they said. You know, how about we wrap it up at four? And they, they said, well, no, this final episode is, is all set in one apartment. We can do it really cheaply. And the studio agreed. And so they did it. Now, the more important, the, the most interesting thing about this episode to me is the, the behind the scenes of it rather yeah. than the actual yeah. story itself. Mm-hmm. Um, you can talk about the story because I just I hate the fucking thing. I, I love they're creeping up on you with E.G. Marshall as Upston Pratt, this germaphobe who's a whose specialty is corporate takeovers, and he's seeing cockroaches all over his three thousand a month you know germ free apartment. It's not a particularly good story. I just oh. love E.G. Marshall's quips. And this is a little short. There was one where his assistant is calling him and saying, you know, we are the now the major shareholder in Pacific in this other company, like Pacific Aerodyne or something like that. And he goes, of course we are. And he just says, he did a good job. Go out and fuck somebody. But wear a rubber because everyone's got the damn herpes these days. Like he always, he doesn't give a shit. And when he tells him the guy who used to own the company that he took over shot himself, said, great, we don't have to offer the old fart a seat on the board. <laughs> like, he doesn't really give a shit about anybody. I think there, the profanity in it was the thing that, uh, when I, it was probably the reason why I didn't like it. I mean, I don't m- mind about it now, but although my parents used to let me watch these films, they were quite funny about, uh, about swearing. And so I'd watch, I remember watching this, and because and, there is quite a lot of language in it, and in the other um, entries in the series that there isn't at all. It's quite. It's just. It's just um, gore, which you know, horror wasn't a problem. But language and, and references to fucking and all that kind of stuff. It was. I'd sit in the chair and I'd be like, oh shit, you know. I'd, oh, <laughs> me and my and maybe bonded it, over it. <laughs> <laughs> but even, but maybe that's why I, I I kind of distanced myself from it all these years. Uh, it, it's such a funny last entry with the you know the wife of Norman calling up and saying you're a monster all you could say was your name and he goes yeah I heard all Norman went out with a bang one of my favorite lines is when his uh, one of the guys Reynolds is in charge he's the super of the building and he says where are you I got cockroaches up here he's and the Reynolds replies I decided to take my uh, trip my family down to Orlando Orlando, Florida. Listen, if if this stuff doesn't get fixed soon, then you could take your family to Florida on your fucking welfare check. <laughs> I love E.G. Marshall's. It's okay. It's okay. But but the, the, the cockroaches were the most expensive thing, though, weren't they? Yeah, yeah. I mean, they they sent two entomologists to Trinidad. And Trinidad. <laughs> Trinidad. Yeah, to get the roaches and. Basically, they were they, they, they were going into these caves, and roaches love bat shit. Yeah. So wow. you look for the bat shit, and you're going to find loads of roaches. And so they were kind of waist deep. Romero said that he was getting photographs from these guys, saying they were waist deep in roaches. And it got to the stage where there were so many roaches that the roaches were actually carrying them through 
the cave. They were moving the guys through. Um, they managed to get... They managed. To, they would just tip them all into these sacks, and they managed to bring eighteen thousand of them back to. Um, it would have been Pittsburgh, wouldn't it, where they were yeah, filming? Would, yeah. And so they 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 had like a, a Winnebago with which they put all the roaches in, and the, which they called Roach Motel, mm-hmm. and they continued to breed them in this fucking great big camper van and the place was overrun with them but one of the stipulations after they finished filming was that they had to destroy them all um uh, you don't they don't yeah they (laughs) a roach (laughs) film yeah they don't explain how they just 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 destroyed my i'm gathering they just fucking burnt them or something i don't know but uh, they do say that there's probably a, 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 a Trinidadian, 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 whatever, uh, roach Trinidad- population, <laughs> yeah, roach population in uh, in Monroeville at the moment. <laughs> oh, big. Ladies and gentlemen, that's where we got mimic from. Uh, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> big fucking roach. And Tom Savini made because uh, Dustin Pratt, you know. Uh, uh, dies of a heart attack or a stroke, and uh, they make a cast of E.G. Marshall. They push the roaches through his neck. They do. And, just, and uh, a lot a of those effect. roaches are, yeah, a lot of those roaches are, are, some of them, you know, to get the foreground and background to match up. As I heard some of the roaches were like raisins, you know, to give it oh, some, really? yeah, to give it, look like there was a lot of them all bunched hmm. in. <laughs> the, the, well, no, they said that, that if you were to buy them in the US, they would have been 50, uh, 50 cents per roach. Okay, um, yeah. And and then they, they they said that the entomologist charged a hell of a lot less to go over there and bring them back. And but a total to of $125,000 for all of them. Yeah, yeah. It's ridiculous, uh, the amount of money they spent imagine on roaches. destroying what you just bought. Ugh. Uh, imagine the smell. E.G. Marshall covered in roach <laughs> shit. An A-lister, a Hollywood, you know, silver screen actor. You know, saying his swears and everything. Yeah, but this this one actually, Darren, it, like I said, is my favorite one. It's my favorite one. Yeah, it's my least favorite. I mean, I do like the effect of, of what they did with E.G. Marshall at the end. And, and again, another kind of Savini effect made up of bog roll again. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, what, it's, like I said, I, me and my father bonded over the swearing, him and I laughing at it, you know, and then my mom telling me, what's next? Show him a triple X movie and bonding over that. And my dad saying, well, I have standards. <laughs> but we're not at the end of this. Uh, you know, we still got to worry what's happening to Billy and his dad. Are they, yeah, they wake up at the end? We've still got some Atkins action. Um <laughs> Mustache is still gone. <laughs> he's still beating on the kid, and and uh, you know he's thrown his comic books away now. And uh, the kid's got a little voodoo doll, which he's ordered from the Creep Show comic, uh, and he takes it out on his dad at the end. So Sticks you've got, to him. yeah, Atkins probably looking the most uncool I've ever seen him. Yeah, uh, writhing agony in his chair. He's got like some kind of uh, vest, sweater vest on, and and everything, and. Almost looks like an accountant. Yeah, he's not. A, he's yeah. not a gropey doctor in this one. No, no, his mustache is his power. That's it. And without that, he's nothing. <laughs> but I, I think, well, like we said at the beginning, creep show, because there was anthology before this. Of course, the the granddaddy of all of them is is Twilight Zone, mm. and then after that, Outer Limits. And I think without creep show, we wouldn't have people having an interest in anthologies. And I think you and me and, and the rest of the horror community have to admit 
that it is the beginning of what we have. It mm. started everyone's interests, and it was. A, and the, the second one is is pretty good. Uh, the third one, like we'd said, sucks. Oh, it's shocking. I think you and I will always watch Creepshow. I enjoyed it watching it today. Yeah, it can't be edited though, because oh. they won't even show they creep up on you, and on the TV version they won't show it. Oh, really? It's already long enough, you know, with the commercials and the adverts in between. They, so they that one just out. gets cut out. Well, oh, that's swearing good. and that's everything. Good. And, it's probably well, about a movie for it. <laughs> I love that movie. I love that show. <laughs> damn it! You know, fucking welfare check and, and calling people motherfuckers and bastards. Yeah, oh, come on. Not my sixth sense of humor. But well, that was creep show, ladies and gentlemen. That was creep show. <laughs> we got to prepare now for the predator. For oh, predator, predator, <laughs> not, not not the oh, predator. Oh God, predator. <laughs> but uh, you and I are going to enjoy talking about predator. We are. We are. Yeah, I think yeah. you and I know a lot about it just by researching it on our own and watching the the different DVDs and Blu-rays that have come out over the years and what the predator what the Predator could have looked like, we'll talk about. Oh, or, or even did start to look like. Start yeah. to look like. And who yeah. uh, and who was going to play him yeah. initially? Or who did play him initially? <laughs> yeah. Look at it. We'll, we'll tell you all about it. So, as always, stick to the roads. And the best of luck. <laughs>